here at Crossover Radio Sports. This is the Major League Podcast. We're back. I'm sorry. I had a bad day yesterday. My throat wasn't very good. It just wasn't a good time to do a podcast. I, I, I like doing this podcast, and I like having my spot on Crossover Radio Sports. So I, I'm not going to ruin it by saying adult language words that would probably get me off the air, and that's what would have happened yesterday if I would have done any of the segments I'll be talking about today. Anyway, if you're listening on Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcast, uh, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Breaker, welcome in. Thank you for listening so very much. Today, we've got a pretty good show for you guys. I'm, I'm going to talk uh, some more track and field. That is my sport of choice. Um, we're going to talk about Antonio Brown, Ezekiel Elliott's new contract, and what it means for the Cowboys. Kind uh, of give you guys a high school preview for uh, Oklahoma High School uh, for the two that we sponsor here on Crossover Radio and Crossover Radio Sports with Bethany and P- uh, Put- uh, Putnam City Original. Um, we're going to talk about Texas fans, and we're going to talk about OU fans as well, too. So, like I said, we've got a loaded show. We're going to jump right on into this. So, if you guys uh, are on Twitter like I am, and, and you heard the re- Everybody knows the ESPN show, the very not good ESPN show is uh, ESPN First Take. It's on in the mornings. I'm not a, I, I don't watch it. It's, it's not my cup of tea. I'm not a big Stephen A. Smith fan. I'm not really the biggest Max Kellerman fan. I'm not really a fan of most of the guys they bring on to debate unless they were former athletes. They seem to do a better show than the actual talking heads. So... Max Kellerman gets a question about, because USA Today had named Usain Bolt the most electrifying athlete of all time, which I don't disagree with. I don't think, I don't think anybody should have a problem with it. Um, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with that point. Max Kellerman and his infinite wisdom, guys, listen to this. This is, this is just ridiculous. Take a listen. First of all, it can't be Usain Bolt. The reason it can't be Usain Bolt is not because he wasn't electric. He was. And he was a great track and field star. And I think if the whole sport were clean, he would still be the fastest guy, right? Okay. So, so it's nothing against that part. It's just that for the same reason it can't be Tiger Woods, it can't be Usain Bolt. Because when we say it's, a, it, it's only a sport by a very broad definition because it really only tests your fast twitchies, right? Like how fast can you go from point A to point B in, in 100 meters, right? How fast can you do that? Well, that's an athletic ability, but it's only one specific kind. We don't know his manual dexterity. We don't know his ability to think on the fly, et cetera, which is why track and field stars are usually failed football and basketball players. The best athletes, because that's where the money is, go into basketball and football, and the others fall down to track and field because you can't be a wideout because your hands aren't good enough or you're not tough enough or you can't adjust on the fly and improvise or whatever else it is, but you're really fast. You go down a track and field. That's, I know there are exceptions to this, but that's just Generally, what it is, it's not going to be a track and field. It's not going to be a sprinter. And by the way, 100-meter dash, greatest Olympic event of all time, including the boxing. I love 100-meter dash. Can't be a guy like that for that reason. So there we go. That's Max Kellerman's ridiculous take on track and field. That's the whole thing. And let me tell you guys, if this was yesterday, I'd be screaming into this mic. I'd be waking everybody up in, in my house. I would be, you know, there... 
places would be on literal fire here. So let me tell you a couple things. So I don't disagree with him about the sport not being clean as far as the, dis the, uh, the short distance races go. I still think that's a problem in the sport. I think they're doing their best to clean it up, but it's still a problem. It, it's still something that is being discussed and the, it, it's hard to clean up this sport. And, and with the different, many, 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 many different ways that you can be found for cheating as far as how they do testing in track and field, it's really hard. So I agree with him on that. But Max Kellerman talks about how track and field 100-meter runners, 200-meter runners, and 400-meter runners only pretty much if you're a runner and you start from point A and you go to point B, you're only testing your fast twitch muscles. Let me tell you, yes, you're right. You are testing your fast twist fast twitch muscles. I get that. Yes, that is the 100 meters physically as far as you look at just the default thing about what a 100 meter runner is. He's a sprinter. Point A to point B, you're exactly right. The number one thing that you test is your fast twitch muscle. Who has the better one? Who can? Who basically slows down the slowest is how the 100 and 200 meter, in, in some cases the 400 meters, is ran. However, he doesn't know the intricacies, the, he doesn't know the ins and, ins and out of what a runner is in track and field. And that's his mistake, is he went into this with no prerequisites of what track and field is. He went into this without knowing how much strategy actually goes into not only just a 100 meter race, but a 200 meter race, 300 meter race, 400 meter race. There, there's quite a bit that goes into strategizing for any kind of race you're doing in track and field. So with that said, yes, you do test your fast twitch muscles, but there's other things that you test because there are things you've got to be patient. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to psychologically see the race. So in the middle of the race, so you get a bad start, you've pretty much doomed yourself from the very, very beginning. Because in the 100 meters, if you have a bad start, in the 400, and the 200, if you have a bad start, it's hard to make that up. It's hard to come back and win a race when you're already in the last place because you have a bad start. And that's where it comes into mentally of how strong are you mentally in this race because you can make those up. There are plenty of instances where... Usain Bolt didn't have the best start. He finished dead last and blew everybody away by the time the 80-meter mark came. So let's not sit here and pretend that these athletes don't think they, they're, they're not mentally tough enough. Listen, Mac, to people like Max Kellerman, if you think track and field is, oh, well, you can only go, you go from point A to point B as fast as you possibly can. No, that's, that, that's not track and field. I'm sorry. That's not crossing country. I'm sorry. That, that's not anything that involves running. If that's the case, that's what baseball is. You hit the ball and you go from point A to point B as fast as you can before the ball is thrown to the base. So, I, I mean, that's, that's everything. That's football. 
Football, what does wide receiver do? He goes from point A to point B, typically point A, line of scrimmage, hopefully point B, end zone, right? Soccer, point A to point B. You usually take it around midfield and hopefully you're in the you're in the box scoring point B. So everything in sport is point A to point B. Basketball. Sideline to or not sideline, but um, yeah, sideline to side ba- basically it's all the same. You can name a sport. Tennis, point A to point B, your point A is side to side, side to side. That's point A, point B. How fast do you get there? And that's essentially what it is when you're doing volleying and you're getting your opponent to move back and forth. That's what tennis is as well, too. Golf. Point A, tee box. Point B, green. So listen to all of you guys thinking, well, track is just, you know, a good way for football players to stay in shape. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But here's why track and field is a better sport than most of other sports that are out there. Track and field is a better sport, A, because if you're a parent and you don't want your kid playing in a sport that can get them hurt in any possible way, that's the easiest sport to get into. Because all you really need to do is find something you're good at. If you're really good at sprinting, hey, you're going to be really successful. You're going to get scholarships. You're going to be able to go run, you know, nationally. That's it. That's at the super high end of any event. But I can tell you as someone who wasn't high end, who was more of, kind of one of the better as far as the middle ranks kind of go in Oklahoma high school track and field. There's a lot that goes into this sport. There's a lot of mental. There's a lot of things that if you don't do during the off season, you're already a failure in the season. I can tell you that because I didn't do a lot of those things in the off season to make myself successful for the actual season. Now, thank goodness there was cross country. Because that, that, that helped immensely. But you can't tell me that track and field is not a better sport than, listen, watching-wise, yeah, I'll give it to you. Everybody can't wait for football. I love watching football. There's nothing better. There, there's not a better feeling than watching your favorite team line up, play defense, hit somebody square, and tackle them, and you know it's a good hit because everybody jumps up and goes, yeah. You know, screaming and shouting, everything's all glorious and everything's all good. But listen, here, track and field, you watch someone break through their barrier. Usain Bolt, watch his very first Olympics. Unknown guy until that first Olympics. Comes into it, boom, blows through. Blows through everybody, blows through what everybody expected, breaks a world record. And you sit there and you go, who's this Usain Bolt guy? And all he did for the rest of his career is only lose one race in championship settings. And that's because he false started and got disqualified. Usain Bolt lost one race, one, in championship level competition. One race. And that's because he was disqualified. So you could take him out of that, and he's undefeated when he actually runs the race. That's how good Usain Bolt's career was. You look at guys like, in the middle distance, you have David Rudisha, who broke the 800-meter world record in London, a record that no one thought would ever get broken. 
you look at guys that run the marathon this year, there are guys, there's plenty of guys lined up to break it. The mile barrier is broken. The four minute barrier is broken all the time in men's track and field. The 1500 meter record for women was broke this year. Was either broke this year or is about to get broke. So listen, there's a lot that goes into track and field than just testing your fast twitch muscles. That's the ignorant idiot way of looking at a sport. And to sit there and say it's not a sport, listen, track and field, this is what I used to tell football players when they said track's not a real sport. Really? My sport's your sport's punishment. My every day is what you get punished for. You miss a tackle, you do something stupid on the football field, yeah, that, that's a Tuesday, Tuesday warm-up for me, what you're doing for a punishment. So let's not sit here and act like these track and field athletes aren't... It, listen, track and field is sport of sports. You ever see a decathlon? Max Kellerman claimed the 100 meters is the best Olympic track and field event there is. He hasn't... He, he hasn't paid attention to the sport, period. He doesn't know anything about the sport. Because if he did, he would understand the decathlon, the decathletes, the heptathletes. Those guys, those are the guys that are the greatest athletes on the planet. Don't believe me? Go, go out, you know, do a pole vault, do 110-meter hurdles, do a long jump, do, an, uh, do a, I believe, 400s in there, do shot put, do discus. Do all 10 of events in the decathlon in two days and tell me how your body feels after that. And then you can tell me, oh, track and field's not a real sport. Go do that. Go do the 800 meters. Go do the 3,000 meter steeplechase. Go run a mile. Better yet, run a 100 meter dash in 10 seconds. And then tell me track and field's not a real sport. The, this whole thing, this whole argument that he has is just absolutely ridiculous. And this guy needs, the, if anything, I'm really proud of the track and field community. They came out and they went after Max on Twitter. He, we, we talked about on my, we talked about Doug Gottlieb and how ridiculous he was. Listen, the track and field community did exactly what I expected. And I'm really proud of the family because it is a track and field family. No matter how long you've been out of the sport, no longer if you're, if you're in the sport, if you've been retired from the sport, it doesn't matter. It's a track and field community. It's a track and field family. Everybody backs everybody up. And the track and field family went after Max Kellerman, told him he's, you know, he's not really smart. Usain Bolt came out and said uh, people, uh, people troll, um, essentially came out and said uh, people troll those who can't do. Those who can't do troll those who can, is essentially what he said. But Max Kellerman, I know you're not paying attention to this podcast. I know you never will. But, dude, you need to come. You need to pay attention to the topics you're talking about. You need to do just a little ounce of research. Because, know what? A little ounce of research tells me you weren't in any sport in high school, college, or a professional level. So anything you really have to say really doesn't matter as far as what you think as far as uh, is track and field a real sport. You haven't done it, so you don't get an opinion on it. 
if you're going to talk like that and you're going to have that kind of opinion, you shouldn't get an opinion on sports anymore. You shouldn't have a platform to sit there and talk and spew your absolute garbage that you do day in and day out. Alrighty, guys, I, I went a little long on this segment. Um, like I said, if this was yesterday, I probably wouldn't have this show anymore because I, I would be being yelled at from my wife. I'd be yelled at uh, by my GM and my CEO for things I can't really say on a, a Christian radio station. But, guys, this has been the Major League Podcast. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I'm going to tell you guys who my favorites are to win each of the world championships, uh, the track and field world championship events, my favorites, and we'll have more at, more coming up after after that as well. So like I said, this has been the Major League Podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you're listening in podcast-wise, thanks for listening in on whatever, whatever that you're using as far as that. Um, I appreciate the listens. And guys, um, tune in as we uh, continue to talk track and field. Don't worry, we'll get into some football stuff. And then we're going to get into fanhoods between two of the biggest rivals in sports. So this has been the Major League Podcast here on Crossover Radio Sports Radio with a Purpose, and we will be back on the uh, Crossover Radio Sports app after this break, and it'll be real short for you guys on the podcast. Thanks. Sports Radio with a Purpose. This is the Major League Podcast. And if you're listening in on Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Breaker, thanks for listening in. We appreciate you. As we're here on episode five of season one of the Major League Podcast. The beginning of something new is what this season's called. So when we look at the overall rankings for track and field, I know we talked about this quite a while ago because uh, we're going to be talking about the world championships coming up. Um, I, I think it's important that we talk about it because, A, it's now a talking point apparently on major you know, television stuff. So when, when stupid uh, ESPN people that don't know anything about the sport want to spew in their garbage takes about track and field not not really truly being a sport, but really it's the sport of sports. So we'll talk about it. So uh, as far as uh, how world rankings work, um, I, I haven't quite figured it out, honestly. But we're going to talk about each individual groups for men and women. Uh, we're going to talk about the 100 um, uh, for the world championships. I'm going to tell you my favorites and why I believe these people are going to win. Um, and when it comes down to it, um, the world championships for track and field are vastly important for the sport because it's a showcase of the best talent. 
across the world. And when, when the United States is represented well, um, it, it's a good thing. Um, and if you're, in case you're wondering, uh, the world championships are actually this month. They start on Friday, uh, September 27th, and they go all the way to uh, Sunday, October 6th. So it's basically, um, it, it's a full week of track and field competition. And guys, I'm just going to tell you something. It's going to be awesome. It, it really is. Um, and so the, uh, the location of it's in Doha, um, uh, Qatar. So it, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a really fantastic championships. Um, especially on the United States and especially in the sprinting, sprinting world. And let me tell you why, because in the United States, we've got three dudes that are in the 100 alone. You have Justin Gatlin, who by all means has every opportunity to win this, win the 100 meters in worlds. He has every opportunity. He's got the experience. He still has the speed. He knows he knows how to do this race. He just knows how to do competitions well. He really is good at what he does as far as when it comes to running the 100 meters in a championship competition. He's one of the very, 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 very few people that have actually beaten Usain Bolt head-to-head. Um, and then we go down to the next best guy. His name is uh, Christian Coleman. He actually was slated to be suspended until the... Apparently, from the track and field brethren that I follow, this this decision should not have been the decision that they made. They essentially said that, well, they the the sample that was in question was over 12 months ago, so it doesn't count that it was missed or whatever whatever it was. Apparently, it was a ridiculous uh, policy. But either way, Christian Coleman will run moving forward instead of having a four-month suspension because this was last month when. Uh, it would have been dictated that he would have been suspended. He would have he he would have missed Worlds, which would have been terrible for the United States, um, in my opinion, because you're missing one of the best athletes that the sport has to offer. Um, and then we go down to a guy. His name's Noah Lyles. He's he he's slowly becoming one of my absolute favorite um, favorite runners. Um, just to kind of give you an idea. Um, of the results that he's had this year. Starting in April, he ran a 10:14. He finished fourth. Um, then he ran a 10:01 and won it. And that was against Christian Coleman head to head. Um, and and that was in uh, that was in an uh, IAAF competition. So the IAAF does rankings. They give you guys basically points per your position the if it was a pr um if it was uh legal wins or whatever whatever it may it may be on there um that that's how they score it and then uh you go to monaco uh monaco for uh no lyles and he ran a 992 
then he goes to uh, Zurich and runs a 998. He goes to Shanghai and runs a 986. So this guy is in fantastic position. If he wants to run the 100, he has a wonderful opportunity to do it at Worlds. I believe he's qualified. I believe the time that he has is qualifying time for Worlds. Uh, just to give you a, a, a comparison to Christian Coleman in the Prefontaine Classic that was in Palo Alto, California, and Stat in Stanford. It wasn't in Oregon this year because of uh, they're they're reconstructing every they're they're doing reconstruction of their stadium, so they're they're building a new stadium I should say, and it's going to look fantastic. I can't wait to go to a track meet there. Um, hopefully, it's either the Prefontaine, uh, the USA Championships, or the NCAA Track and Field Championships. That 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 would that atmosphere would just be amazing to go to. But anyway, back to tra- back to the athletes. Um, Christian Coleman, his fastest race this year, he ran a 9.81. That was in uh, the Prefontaine Classic. That was that's his fastest time this year. He's been hanging out in the 9.85, 9.86 range. Uh, he's actually gotten kind of a little slower, um, but I think it's because he's able to save up because the competition is not nearly as good um, moving forward. I mean, it's literally him and Justin Gatlin. So all you really need to do is stay a step ahead of Justin Gatlin. You'll, and you know, you'll be fine. Justin Gatlin's fastest time is 987 this year where he finished second, uh, to, uh, to Coleman. And that was in the Prefontaine classic. So my, my three to watch there in the hundred are going to be Gatlin Coleman and, and Lyles. If Lyles runs the 100, he's the favorite to win the 200. If I remember right, um, he has just been absolutely killing the 200 this year. Um, he, his fastest time is a nine, uh, a 1950. He ran that in, uh, in one of the international competitions out in, uh, where is this? This is, uh, Lausanne, Lausanne. I don't know where that's at. It, it, over in Europe. He ran really fast in Europe, basically is what you need to know. <laughs> Um, but he won the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Championships back in July on July 28th by running a 1978. Uh, the guy is just going to be really good when it comes to 200. He's my favorite to win it. Um, if you have mo- if you bet money, you should have probably bet on him well before. Uh, but we're going to actually jump out the, to the 400 meters where this is actually going to be a little bit interesting between if you pay attention to the sport, you know Michael Norman, you know his story. Uh, he was actually shot and actually should not have survived. He was, I believe it was three times in a drive-by shooting um, and has recovered and become easily one of the best athletes in the world. Um, point in case, uh, in the semifinals, or sorry, in the finals of the, of the U.S. championships, he ran a 43-79. 4379. Listen guys, that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculously fast. Um I'm I'm just double checking something here just to make sure I'm not going crazy, but um he's coming up on world record time. 4379 is only what 4 79, so that's, uh, essentially it's four tenths off the second, off the world record time that was set by, uh, 
by uh, Wade Van Nurek in the Brazil in the in the Rio Olympics in 2016. But guys, I'm I'm telling you, this kid this kid could break the world record this year. He he could easily break the 400 meter world record, which is crazy because not very many people thought it would be broke after it was initially set. Um, but Michael Norman's gonna have an awesome awesome opportunity to show out and show that he's actually gonna do really well. But the guy that I'm most interested in watching to see if he can continue to challenge Mike Michael Norman. Um, who actually finished second in that race where he ran a 43.79. I think I said he won. Correction, he didn't win. He finished second. And this guy named Fred Curley won by running 43.64. I don't know if this guy is just a fluke, where this came from, but Michael Norman's got got some competition if he wants to win the world championships this year, and it's going to start with Fred Curley. And he better be on his A game for that. Um, and then we're actually going to get into the races that I'm real familiar with, the races that I'm ultimately going to look at and say, yeah, th- it, it's this. Let's get this done. <laughs> um, and so we're going to look at a couple of United – we're going to look at one United States athlete who's on here. Um, and then I'm also going to talk about this kid from Kansas. His name's Bryce Hopple. Um, I, I watched him live. I was very impressed with how he ran in the, in the United States championships, but Nigel Amos. Nigel Amos is a guy who everybody should be paying attention to. And let me tell you why Nigel Amos has been right there at the cusp of being fantastic every time let me tell you why um so this last olympics he wasn't a part of it um he he wasn't part of the top three um when we look at the details it was david radisha again um who won it and then uh, i'm trying to pull up the results of the race um but David Amos has been one of, or Nigel Amos has been one of the most consistent 800 meter runners that that the world's had, and he actually ran really, really poor in this last Olympics. He didn't even make it out of heat five um, in the in the semis, or in the um, not the semifinals, but the uh, uh, qualification finals. Uh, so, yeah, the sem- uh, yeah, qualification. So he didn't he didn't make it to the uh, make it out of the heats. Uh, to get to the semifinals, this last one. But if I remember right, in the London, um, in the London Olympics, I believe this guy was second and would have run a uh, would have run a, I believe, really close to the world record on there. Um, I'm just double checking myself. Um, yeah, so Nigel Amos would have ran a 41.73 in the London Olympics. He was really close to, uh, he was the closest athlete to David Rudisha. Um, and if you look at the Olympic, uh, the world record at the time, that was set in 2010 by David Rudisha, Nigel Amos would have been really close to that time as well as he ran a 41.73. Uh, the world record at the time was 4101, uh, where uh, David Rudisha did that in Italy, and then he just absolutely 
absolutely ran the most perfect race I think I've ever seen an 800 meter runner run with that world record time of 40, uh, 140, uh, 140.91. Uh, but guys, I'm telling you, Nigel Amos, that's the guy to watch. Uh, best time of the year is one, uh, 141.89. Uh, he, he's going to kill it. He's going to smoke people. Um, but we've got a couple of guys from the United States that have an opportunity to challenge. Um, and the first guy's name that I'm going to give you, his name is uh, Donovan Brazier. Uh, he has a 142.70. Uh, I've, I've watched him. He's got the strength to run it. He's got the drive to run it. And I think he's. I think he has every opportunity to do so. Um, Clayton Murphy's been around. Uh, he's been really good for middle distance running. A lot of the middle distance runners will know this. Uh, but he's got a 143.94 for his best on the year. Uh, and if he peaks at just the right time here, he could eventually find a way to challenge Amos. Um, him and Brazier have a really good opportunity. And I think someone that's going to take a lot of, a lot of good out of running with these really, really good athletes on the, on the uh, professional level is going to be a kid named Bryce Hopple who runs for Kansas. Um, he had an under, he had a, uh, I believe it was a 22 race win streak in the 800 meters. I've watched him personally and the kid just has this last 50 meters, just all of a sudden breath of fresh air and outruns everybody the last 50 meters of his race. And it's really, really crazy to see. And it's not something you usually see now as fast as time this year, I actually witnessed personally. Uh, was a 141, uh, 144.41 where he ran that at uh, the NCAA Nationals in Austin, Texas. And, guys, I'm just telling you, he's he's really good. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, through these professional coaches that he's going to work with, if he doesn't become the best 800-meter runner that we have for the United States this world championships. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if he finds a way to challenge Nigel Amos finds a way to uh, get up in that metal uh, contending position. Um, checking my time on here real quick. Ooh, I've gone over. Um, we're going to end it at 1,500 meters on the men's side, and then we'll jump over to the women's side real quick. Um, but Timothy Chariot um, from Kenya, he's he's going to run away with the 1,500 meters. It's, it's not hard to figure that out. He's the fastest by far. He's got a 328. Uh, which is, if I remember right, is by far the best in the world. Um, but that, that's who I expect to win it. And then when we go over to the female side, we're going to start with the 1500 and we're going to go down um, from there. I know we didn't get to a lot of the events, uh, which you'll just have to listen to the rest, you know, my other shows, because I'm definitely going to get into it. Um, we got... No United States got uh, United States people that are going to contend for the 1500 meter, um, but definitely. Uh, but it is Hassan. It is uh, Safan, uh, Sifan, Safan, um, who's going to win this on the women's side. She's got a 357.08, which she just ran in uh, Zurich, which happened two weeks ago, essentially. Uh, she's. I'd, I have her winning the 15, uh, the 1500 meter. When you go down to the 800. Um, a G. Wilson, the United States woman, um, in the 800. 
I would be really, really surprised if she didn't win it. Um, at, at the Prefontaine Classic, she ran a 158. Um, and on August 11th in the in an event in Toronto, she ran a 157.52. So, guys, I'm, I'm telling you, a G. Wilson is the best opportunity for the United States women middle distance to show out. Um, then we go down to the 400. The 400, I feel, is going to be the most competitive race. Uh, we've got Shakima Wembley from the United States, who's going to probably be our best athlete in it. Um, but you've got quite a few people. Um, you got a woman named Nazir. She's from, um, I believe this is, where is she from? Yeah, 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 come on. Uh, from Bahrain. I have no idea where that's at, but anyway, she ran, she has a, uh, a best time of 49.17. In the 400 meter that she just that she ran in August, um, on or in July, sorry, and a couple weeks ago in that same event in, um, in Zurich, she ran a 50-24, was first place. I'd be really surprised if she doesn't win it, but she's gonna have a loaded heat with her. Um, you got somebody, uh, you've got a Jamaican named uh, McPherson. She has a 50-74. Uh, as her best time on the year, she's going to challenge for sure. Uh, Sharika Jackson from Jamaica as well. Uh, she's got a 50-69 as her best time, or sorry, a 49-78. So we're going to have a lot of athletes in the four, in the women's 400 that are going to compete. Um, and potentially, hopefully, we can get the U.S. a win in the 400. Um, but as we get into the short distance races in the 200 and the 100, uh, Asher Smith, she should win it. Um, based on everything I've seen, she's probably going to be the best athlete that wins it. Uh, it's really hard to beat somebody that beat, that runs a 21.89. Um, and then I say that, and then I look at uh, Shalee Miller uh, Ibo. Has twenty has a twenty one seventy four. That's the most recent. That was on the Zurich race. So we're probably going to have a little bit of. A, it, it's probably going to be a really good 200, 200 meter race as well too. Um, between those two, I'm not seeing anybody else in the in the challenges uh, that runs a twenty one. Uh, real close, but no you know no cigar getting over there. Uh, so as I jump down to the 100, this is going to be the last thing I talk about before I go to break. Um, again, it's going to be Diana Asher-Smith, in my opinion, or it's going to be uh, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. Those are going to be the two that are going to duke it out. Those are going to be the two that are going to have the best opportunity to win it. Um, if you've never watched Shelly Ann Fraser-Price run, Google her, look her up on YouTube. Um, she, you'll be amazed with how she runs races. Um, she doesn't hardly lose. Um, when she does, you know, it's a really, really good field or she had a really, really bad day. Um, but she's got a 1073 is her best time this year. And she ran that in the Jamaica championships on June 21st. So I'm just going to tell you guys, it's going to be loaded, uh, from the 100 to the 15 on both field on, on both, both genders for the male and the female. So I'd highly encourage you to watch it. We'll talk about some of the other events coming up, um, in in a different show, but guys, this has been Crossover Radio Sports. Hey, I want to thank you for listening in um, on on the different podcasts, and if you're listening to Crossover Radio Sports 
on the app. Thanks for listening in. Um, but we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this because uh, I've gone way over. So <laughs> we'll be back after this break, and uh, we'll talk some uh, football coming coming up. over radio sports radio with a purpose this is the major league podcast thanks for listening in those of you listening in on anchor radio public google podcast podcast uh pocket cast spotify breaker thanks for listening in i appreciate it if you're listening in on crossover radio sports thanks for listening in as well Surprisingly, today there's no baseball update. Uh, there, there's none on here, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get right into it. We got football to talk about. Um, there, there was some pretty major news. Not to you know play with my last name on there, but uh, there was some pretty major news that came out of the NFL. Uh, there's actually a couple things we're going to talk about in two different segments here, because uh, <laughs> it's too good not to talk about some of this stuff. Um, so Ezekiel Elliott, all the Dallas fans can breathe normally now. All the Dallas fans can be happy. All the Dallas fans can not worry. Is Zeke going to show up for the season? Zeke's going to show up for the season. I promise. And let me tell you why Zeke's going to show up to the season. Cause Zeke just signed a six year 90 million dollar contract with the Dallas Cowboys including a 7 million 500 uh, 7.5 million signing bonus um 50 million guaranteed and an average annual salary of 15 million dollars a year um so the nice thing about the salary um when you look at it um because I got it pulled up here. Uh, so he's going to be a cowboy until he's 31. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2027. Uh, his final year, when he's 31, he'll be making $16.6 million. Uh, when you look at the contract and how it breaks down, this year he's going to make his base salary of $752,137. Um, his signing bonus is still five, uh, $5.5 million. Um, so the cap hit is going to be uh, $6.3 million for the, for the Cowboys. Um, and depending on how he does, his yearly cash should be somewhere around the $8.2 million range, according to sporttrack.com when you uh, go online and look at it on Ezekiel Elliott there. Um, but when you start looking at it from next year, 2020, uh, that's where you make 6.8. The year after, uh, 9.6, then 12.4, 10.9, 10, 15.4, and then 16.6. So this was probably what they were arguing about, how they're going to get the base salary to work out, and then how they're going to get all the guaranteed money to work out, how they're going to get every, all the guaranteed money, all 
and the signing bonus and all this stuff. They were gonna, he was gonna get paid. We all knew he was going to get paid. Um, so basically, um, Ezekiel Elliott's a Dallas Cowboy for the rest of his uh, playing career unless they trade him, which I, I don't, I don't think. He'll have a problem with that. So, um, I let that expire. There we go. Get some background music for you. So, Ezekiel Elliott, he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I didn't think they should pay him this much, personally. Um, he hasn't shown enough off the field um, to be able to prove to me that he's going to, uh, that he's going to even be available for him in one or, one or two of these years when he's making over $10 million a year, which is a problem. And it's a problem, especially if you're a Cowboy fan, you can't rely on your best player to be on the field. So basically what this means is Melvin Gordon now has a number in mind that he can sit there and whatever trade he decides, what whatever he's able to find as far as trade partners and gets traded to another team, whatever that may look like for him, he is now going to have a number that he's going to sit there and say, Zeke got 90 million for six years. I'm just as productive as he is all around. I want 90 million a year. I want 15 a year. And wherever he goes, that is going to be what he says. Now, are the Houston Texans dumb enough to pick him up? Yeah, probably. They they might be dumb enough to do that. Does Melvin Gordon want to go to Houston? Maybe. Who knows? I'm not Melvin Gordon. I'm not his agent. I don't know. But Ezekiel Elliott, this is good news for good good and bad news for Cowboys. The bad news is they only got $22 million remaining in cap space this year. So Dallas has has to figure out between Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. And I know Jerry Jones is gonna get the money worked out. I know he's gonna figure it all out. He's gonna he's gonna get all this done. He's got all the anchors that he wants on each level of the defense. He's got it on each, almost each level of the offense. Obviously, the quarterback and the wide receiver need to be uh, need to be complete before he can get you know his trifecta there of each side. Um, but when you look at Dallas overall, you pay Dak Prescott, you pay Ezekiel Elliott. You pay Amari Cooper. They paid Tyron Smith. Um, they paid everybody on the offensive line. I'd be shocked if everybody in the offensive line doesn't re-up, um, get the same amount, you know, continue to be the best offensive line there. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence got his. Um, Sean Lee is – Jalen Smith got his. That's the one all the Dallas fans should be excited about. Um, and then when you look at the secondary, that's about the only spot they don't have on the defense where they have their, this is our guy, we're going to ride with him. Um, so once they get that figured out, once they figure out the secondary, who's going to be that guy, which I think it might be Byron Jones. Um, if I had to pick, that would be the guy I would say. But we'll find out with Dallas, at least on the defensive side of the ball, especially this year, since a lot of people are going to probably try and play uh, they're, they're going to have to, you know, score as quickly as they can now, so they're going to have to pass the ball against Dallas because now they know 21's back there. They're going to be giving the ball to him, and he's going to chew the clock away. <laughs> so this is good news, good news for Dallas, but it also could be potentially bad news because if they can't come to a contract negotiation with Amari Cooper 
or Dak Prescott, this essentially ruins the offensive three-headed giant juggernaut that they have. Um, and and listen, Dallas's offensive line—they're going to continue wanting to get paid. Period. You want you want to make sure that the offensive line is intact. You don't want to have to cycle through a bunch of guys. Listen, Dallas's offensive line is so good that you could probably put any running back back there and they'll be a thousand yard back behind that offensive line. You put somebody special like Ezekiel Elliott behind there, he's he could be the MVP of the league. If he plays a full season in that offense, uninterrupted, just able to go out there and dominate the way that we all know Ezekiel Elliott will dominate, he could be a legitimate MVP candidate this year. That my my biggest question was is is he gonna get suspended? Is this whole thing with the Vegas uh, with him pushing the Vegas security guard, is that going to be a thing? And is he going to even play enough games to be, you know, able to be an MVP candidate for Dallas? But listen, Ezekiel Elliott is a legitimate MVP option for Dallas, and anybody saying otherwise, they're they're, they're not very smart. Um, and so we're actually going to combine this with uh, one of the other segments. And the other segment that I wanted to do is about Antonio. Brown. The timeline. The timeline for Antonio Brown could not be any better. Let me see if I can find a timeline here. Yeah, here we go. So. <laughs> who the, this is this is gonna get good, so stick with me here. <laughs> Basically, I don't think Antonio Brown's the best wide receiver anymore. So uh, January 2017, uh, the Facebook debacle where he goes, uh, where he goes live in the locker room, um, which he issued a formal apology in a in a press conference. Um, everything is fine. Late January 2017, um, he was fined ten ten thousand dollars by the team for streaming in the locker room for celebration, um, and and that's. That's probably when it first started, um, but in 2018, he go, we get the whole talking about practice. He was in a heated dispute with uh, Big Ben on a walkthrough that escalated to the point where Brown threw a football at the QB, and the wideout opted then to skip the remaining practices leading up to the weeks uh, to the team's Week 17 battle with the Cincinnati Bengals. He was benched in that game. Um, well, the official team stance was injury related. The reality was it was it was that practice. Uh, in that, in February 2019, this is labeled the anti-Valentine. Uh, two days ahead of Am- uh, February 14th, Brown took to his beloved social media accounts to both thank the Steelers fandom and proclaimed it was time to move on. It was a sentiment to the organization. It mirrored itself to a degree, but had enough motivation to attempt to repair their relationship. After all, Brown was still under contract for three more years, but the damage had already been done. So he, he was going to, he was going to get traded. Um, March, 2019, um, the Brown decision was difficult, was a difficult call made much more challenging by the holdout of all pro running back Le'Veon Bell whom the team was also locked in battle with. Ultimately, they opted not to place a transition tag on Bell, allowing him to walk in free agency. 
followed by swallowing their pride at the beginning of the task of looking for a suitor for Brown. It, it was an end of an era with that three-headed juggernaut that I think the Steelers are going to be very sad that they let go of all, you know, the two of them. Well, at least Le'Veon Bell. Let's say the Le'Veon Bell one because Juju Smith-Schuster might be the best run wide receiver they've they've had in a while. I think he's going to be better than Antonio Brown. Um, March 2019, he made it clear that he didn't want to play for the Steelers again. I don't even want to play football if I don't. Uh, I don't even have to play football if I don't want, he told Jeff Darlington of ESPN. I don't even need this game. I don't need to prove nothing to anyone. If they want to play, they're going to play me. They're going to play by my rules. If not, I don't need to play. Obviously, I want the game, but I don't need the game. It's a difference. Um, And then they ended up finding a suitor for him, and that was out in Oakland. Um, which, you know, that, that was replacing Amari Cooper that had went to Dallas in week eight. Uh, so, uh, John Gruden said, Brown can run every route you can dream up. Um, I can say that about other receivers, but he can run, but he can run double move. He can run Bayou. He can run crossing routes. He's very good after the catch. What's the greatest thing about this man? I've told all our receivers, if you have a chance to watch him practice, you'll see what unlocks the greatness in him. He's the hardest working man, I think, in football. Hardest working player I've ever seen in practice. I've seen Jerry Rice. I've seen a lot of good ones. I put Antonio Brown up at the top. If there are any... Young wideouts out there, go watch him practice. You'll figure out yourself why he's such a good football player. Uh, the Raiders sent the 29, uh, 2019 third and fifth round picks to the Steelers in exchange for Brown. Um, and, and geez, May 2019, with the start of OTAs came a wind of change for Oakland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got uh, Mike Mayak uh, to leave broadcasting, be their new GM, and they they pretty the Oakland pretty much had everything they needed. Mark Davis is their owner, John Gruden is their head coach, uh, Mike Mayak is their GM. Antonio Brown didn't like his helmet. The, the NFL said, we don't care. This is the list, is essentially what this was. <laughs> oh. He, he clashed with coaches with it in late July, early August. <laughs> Guys, I can't make this up. This is legitimately what's happened with Antonio Brown. Um, he tried to come on the field with his old helmet. Coaches said, nah, you can't do that. This, this hadn't made public yet, mostly because there was more bewildering headline that emerged with the newly acquired, well, headache. The team placed Brown on a non-football injury list with a non-disclosed issue to start training camp. They removed him immediately. Therefore, after questions began surrounding the nature of Brown's injury and the truth was turned out to be stranger than fiction. 
The bottom of his feet were severely frostbitten after he entered a cryotherapy machine wearing improper footwear and he had sent and was sent to a foot specialist to determine the extent of damage. Initially listed day-to-day, Brown's absence had since changed to what can only be described as indefinite, with the conflicting reports now swirling that he's ghosted the Raiders in their attempts to communicate with him. With an alternate report claiming he's been in discussion, he had been discussing his return soon. The... (laughs) Then he comes back and then he files another grievance for the helmet, which again, they said no. And then he came back and said, I found a helmet and he went to practice. And then this week happens. Or no, sorry, early September happens. So a couple last week happens. No, yeah, early this week happens. The Raiders prepared to take on the Denver Broncos in the season opener. Things have fallen quiet on the Brown front. Brown front, sorry. He found a helmet he could tolerate. Um, his frostbitten feet were seemingly more a non-issue at this point. However, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported Brown got into it with Mayak in a disagreement that could lead to the team suspending Antonio Brown for conduct detrimental to the team. At this point, Antonio, this is uh, Jason, uh, Jason LaConfora uh, from C- a CBS Sports NFL insider said that at this point, Antonio Brown has not been, has not been formally suspended for week one from what I'm told. He could uh, end up facing such discipline by the weekend given his already rocky tenure with the Raiders, perhaps. Could could he end up facing discipline by the weekend for his rocky tenure with it? So, in case you guys missed it, he went to Instagram with a letter from the GM saying, hey, you're fined um, this much money, pay up. And so, what makes this matter... really really odd is that if he's suspended he doesn't get the 30 million guaranteed money from the Raiders he doesn't get it because he's suspended and that's part of the clause in pretty much all NFL contracts is if you're suspended before week one and you in the first five weeks or something it, it was discussed on uh, one of an, uh, another radio show uh, that ESPN has and basically if you're suspended your guaranteed money is gone you no longer get the guaranteed money that could end up leaving th- this dude could completely just leave the NFL this dude could just completely ask for a trade send me somewhere else hopefully he goes to Miami <laughs> honestly I would love to see him in that nightmare at this point but he could leave the NFL and go to the XFL Somebody was talking about, could you imagine Antonio Brown with Bob Stoops? I said, listen, I don't want to imagine that because I still love Bob Stoops and I don't want to see him have a heart attack because of this idiot. 
So Antonio Brown is probably now the least favorite football player across all of the NFL. All the Pittsburgh fans are just absolutely laughing. All the everybody else fans are just enjoying watching this clown not be a team guy, but sit here and talk about how he wants to win a Super Bowl. He doesn't want to win a Super Bowl. He just wants his money and he wants his stats. That's all this guy wants. And it's becoming clearly evident that's all he's about. And, and Antonio Brown, this dude just needs to go away. He needs to not be a part of anything anything for a successful, successful NFL team. I would love to see him go to Miami this year. Then whoever the next tanking team is after that, he goes there. And then so on and so forth. The whole, the whole Josh Rosen thing is what I hope for Antonio Brown. Hopefully Josh Rosen finds himself a home to where he can either be a really, really, really good solid backup quarterback or he can actually find a way to actually start for an NFL team. That's what I would like to see from Josh Rosen. His story makes you feel bad. However, Antonio Brown, if he were to go to any of these places, I don't think anybody would feel bad for him across the NFL, across anywhere, because this guy is now pretty much a spoiled brat. Um, and, and frankly, I'm kind of tired of him being a headline for the NFL. So guys, this has been the Major League Podcast. Uh, that's the NFL segments uh, that we were going to talk about. Um, that's both of them. Uh, talking about Zeke and the Cowboys, uh, Antonio Brown. He is not an elite wide receiver. He may have an elite talent. He, he's an elite talent but he's not an elite wide receiver. So, guys, this, uh, we're going to take a quick break. If you're listening in on Crossover Radio Sports, I'll see you on the other side of the uh, break. And if you're listening in on uh, Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Breaker, thanks for listening in. You'll hear me in just a second as we talk about um, Oklahoma high school f- sports, mainly uh, Bethany and PCO. Uh, So, again, this has been Crossover Radio Sports, Radio with a Purpose. This has been the Major League Podcast. We'll see you on the other side. This is the Major League Podcast. If you're listening in on any of the podcast stations, uh, Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or Breaker, thanks for listening in. I appreciate you listening in. Um, continue listening in. Hit me up on Twitter, at JakeMajor25, if you have anything from today's show, any of the past shows that you would like to discuss or talk to me about. Uh, just be sure you tell me which episode that you're referencing so I know which opinion that I gave that day. Because um, I, I, I also talk a whole bunch of it at work, and there, there's a lot of opinions that spewed, and I, it, it, it's hard to remember them sometimes. So uh, we've, got a, we've got a good segment coming up. If you live in Oklahoma, it, it's already started. High school football is here in Oklahoma. It's, it's that time of year. Um, we've already had games that, that have been official. We had games yesterday. 
Um, I'll go over those scores a little bit. Uh, they were in 6A level, uh, 6A1. Um, if you are going to be watching, uh, uh, if you're going to be listening to PCO here on Crossover Radio Sports, uh, they are 6A2. 6A2. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of a high school preview. I'm not going to give you anything as far as PCO. You're going to have to listen into Crossover Radio Sports tomorrow and listen into our broadcast and see what our thoughts are on the game. So you'll, I, I'm going to leave that cliffhanger there for you guys. That, that's just for you. I'm also waiting for this uh, intro music to fade out here. And then, what do you guys think? Then, no, we'll do some college football. It sounds, it sounds close. Let me get that loaded here. Sorry. Load, play. Alrighty, there we go. So, uh, we've had all right. Like I've, like I've said, um, we already had a couple games that were played. Um, I'm trying to find them. Uh, all right. So yesterday, um, Norman North. Played Norman in the rivalry game for the Battle of Norman. Uh, 31-24 was the final score for the Norman Tigers. Uh, also played in 6A1 was North, uh, or another game that was played was uh, Northwest Classen and Grant. That was an 8-6 win by Grant. Um, let me see if I can get some more scores pulled up here. Uh, So there was Norman North. Um, Heritage Hall played Millwood uh, yesterday, and they won 34 nothing. Heritage Hall did. Uh, I already said Northwest Classen lost 8-6 to to Grant. Um, if you're out in the smaller portions of Oklahoma listening in, uh, the Cleveland Tigers lost to Hominy 20-19. Sand Springs lost Mansfield Summit. Uh, they're from Arlington, Texas, 41 to seven. Uh, Broken Arrow played Mansfield, Texas. Uh, played man the man the Broken Arrow Tigers played Mansfield Tigers and beat them 42 to 13. Booker T. Washington lost to uh, North Little Rock, 19 to nothing. Uh, Midwest City lost to the Bent. Bentonville Tigers, that's in Arkansas, 54-21. Uh, Boise City, the Boise City Wildcats beat the Logan Longhorns. Logan is from New Mexico. They traveled out to New Mexico to play this game, and they won 44 to nothing. That's always great to hear Oklahoma teams beating other state schools in those states, um, which Broken Arrow did as well, too. Um, going through here, Union lost to Lake Ridge. Uh, they're in Mansfield, Texas as well. Mansfield's got something going on there with Texas, uh, with, with high school football. But they lost 40, uh, 47-44, uh, Union did. And I'm, I'm going through a lot of these uh, really, really fast. Um, like I said, if you're a small school, um, Jones beat Oklahoma Christian 56-8. to uh, Let's see, Enid... Lost to Guthrie, 23-21. Um, continuing here. Choctaw beat Shawnee, 49-21. Uh, and that's pretty much all I got here for you guys. Uh, so some games coming up um, in 6A, 6A1 is what I believe this one is. So 
Uh, you got a crossover between uh, 6A1 and 6A2. You got Stillwater going to Edmond Memorial. Uh, you got the Battle of Edmond between Edmond North and Edmond Santa Fe. Uh, Moore and Westmore are playing each other. And then it's the Battle of uh, Yukon Parkway and Mustang Road with the Yukon with the Yukon Millers going to the Mustang Broncos. That um, guys, I grew up in Yukon. Uh, that that is that game means a lot to those uh, to both these uh, communities. Me personally, living in Yukon, I can tell you how much of a big deal to everybody that went to Yukon that Yukon beats Mustang, but it usually never happens. So uh, keep an eye out on that. Owasso is playing uh, the Fayetteville Bulldogs. Um, Deer Creek is playing Southmore. Uh, Broken Arrows hosting, or Broken Arrows going out to Union. Bixby's going to Jinx. Uh, then your PCO Pirates that are going to be here. Every week on Crossover Radio Sports is going to be playing Putnam, uh, the Putnam City, uh, Putnam North Panthers. Um, so all these games, typical high school times uh, that you'd see the games. That's your sick. Uh, those are some of your updates. Uh, some of the things that I know, um, I expect Stillwater to play Edmund Memorial close. I think Edmund Memorial is going to pull this game out, though. Um, I don't think Stillwater is going to be better than Edmund Memorial, but don't be surprised if by by end of day today or by time tomorrow, you look at the score and you see, oh my gosh, Stillwater won? Well, there's a reason. They have Mike Gundy's kid, so he's going to know how to quarterback. Um, Edmund North and uh, Santa Fe, they're playing each other. Uh, from what I remember uh, from last year, Santa Fe should win this game. Uh, Santa Fe is usually really good at home. Uh, I, I expect more to win on the road against Westmore. Um, and... It pains me to say it, but I think Mustang's going to beat UConn pretty good. Um, this is going to be actually the first year I am not at that game, so it's going to be a little weird for my, you know, for me not being at the game, uh, the UConn Mustang game. But I'll get over it. Uh, I th- I don't know anything about Fayetteville, but I I'm going to assume Owasso, who's really good at football here in Oklahoma, should beat Fayetteville. If if you guys know anything about Fayetteville. Uh, Fayetteville High School, uh, the Fayetteville Bulldogs. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at JakeMajor25. Let me know if they're any good at football and if Owasso has a chance or if we're looking at Owasso getting embarrassed on their own field, which would be nice. See one of those east side teams not, you know, do very well. That that would be a change of pace. Um, I expect Deer Creek to do well. Um, from everything I've been told, Broken Arrow and high school football, uh, Broken Arrows, High school football team this year is actually going to be really good. Um, not not a whole lot from what I've heard. Bixby should be good for uh, 6A2, but Jinx is – or sorry, I'm talking Broken Arrow. Bro, everything I've been told, Broken Arrow is the best team in the state at any level. And so I'm going to kind of expect that from Broken Arrow. Um, I, I'm going to hope they do well. Um, I can tell you their band's world class, so <laughs> – they finally got a football team to match their band, so it should be fun if you're a Broken Arrow fan. Um, in uh, the Bixby-Jinx game, I'm going to go with Jinx because it's hard not to go with Jinx because they've been such a football powerhouse in Oklahoma. Um, and then, obviously, the uh, PCO Pirates at Put- and Putnam North are going are going at it in a in Oklahoma City rivalry that, that that's going to be fun to watch. I'm going to be at that game. I'm going to be helping calling it with uh, Phil... Phil Larson and Ian Nickel. 
So, uh, guys, definitely pay attention to their high school football. There's a lot of good games going on. Um, I'm going to jump over to 4A real quick, kind of go over everything in that. Uh, so, there were some games. I already talked about one. I said uh, Hominy beat Cleveland 20-19, uh, to 19, and Heritage Hall beat Millwood 34-0. That, that's what happened yesterday. Uh, some of the other games, you got Elk City going to uh, Bethany. It is going to be an awesome and when I say awesome, it is going to be an awesome year if you're a Bethany Bronco fan or if you're a student or if you're, you know, Jeremy Coleman or Ryan uh, Abernathy calling the game. Bethany is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. Bethany is going to probably be the, the team to beat in 4A. Uh, but Elk City, they're going to they're gonna definitely be a challenge there for um, – for the Broncos. Uh, one of the other teams that uh, you should definitely pay attention to, um, looking for them here, I'm trying to remember all these teams. Uh, Blanchard should be good, but Tuttle and Kingfisher, that's probably going to be game of the week in 4A high school um, because these two teams, we're about the only two teams that challenged Bethany last year were Tuttle and Kingfisher. So I, I expect this to be a really, really, really good game. Um, that, that should be the uh, high school game of the week that they have on uh, Cox, but I think it's a different game. So, um, like I said, I bet if you guys have something to pay attention to, um, if you can go to any of these games, head out to Bethany, head out to PCO. Uh, well, PC North, that's where the game's going to be played. Uh, I think they all still share a stadium. I'm not sure on that. I've, I've been so far out of what Putnam City does that I don't, I don't remember if they all share the stadium anymore or not. Um, but you can definitely head out to Bethany. They play at SNU's football stadium. Um, head out or over there by SNU's football stadium. Head out there and um, and go root for the Bethany, you know, Bethany Broncos. They sponsor Crossover Radio here. Um, good chance for you to go out and support a team that, you know, makes this radio station as good as it is. Um, so, guys, that's I'm, – I'm going to pick Bethany to beat Elk City. And I'm actually – the other game that we were looking at, Tuttle and Kingfisher, I'm going to go with Tuttle in this game, but I, I expect this to be a immensely close football game. So guys, uh, that's been kind of my little preview here for the high school football that you should be paying attention to. Um, so we're going to take one last, or maybe one last quick break. I don't know how long I've been going on. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the fanhoods that I've been seeing on Twitter, uh, what's been going on the last couple days between uh, Oklahoma fans and Texas, um, what Oklahoma fans are what side they're joining for Saturday. What, and I'll talk about what side they should join on Saturday if you're an Oklahoma fan. And then Texas fans, I've got some beef that we're going to get over on, on, this, on this podcast right here. So, guys, this has been Crossover Radio Sports, radio with a purpose. This has been the Major League Podcast. If you're listening in on one of, our, on one of the places that my podcast is located, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening in. Uh, very, very much appreciate it. And... Uh, like I said, if you're on the podcast, you'll hear me here in just a second. If you're on Crossover Radio Sports, see you on the other side of the break.
Welcome back. Crossover Radio Sports. Major League Podcast. Like I've been saying all show. Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Breaker. Thanks for listening in. Crossover Radio listeners, if you're listening on the Crossover Radio Sports app. Thank you for listening. So as I said, Oklahoma fans, there's been a debate. There's been a pretty massive debate. Who should Oklahoma fans root for in the upcoming LSU-Texas game? Well, I can tell you guys, I, I, I've said that you know Texas should lose this game to to LSU, and I'm going to stand by that because Texas has one healthy scholarship running back. They have a linebacker who's played the position for a little over 10 days, and they've had a quarterback move over to this position Sunday. Their running back depth is poor. Their running back depth is Sam Ellinger and, and Ingram. That's it. That's all they got. There's the only two guys that you would trust to run the football at this point. If you're Texas, or if you do fly sweeps with any kind of wide receiver, that's the only kind of run game that Texas is going to have. And listen, Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive coordinators. If I've said all along, he's the best defensive coordinator. You put him on Alabama, nobody ever scores on Alabama. Dave Aranda is that good. If Dave Aranda were to come to Oklahoma, I would probably say Oklahoma has a legitimate shot of being a top 50 defense. Alex Grinch is doing good work. Alex Grinch is a dude when it comes to defense, but Dave Aranda is the dude when it comes to defense in college football. And so Texas fans, um, it well, no, we'll, we'll get to the Texas fans. Oklahoma fans, man, we've had an argument on Twitter about this, back and forth, back and forth. Who should we root for? Who should, who should get Oklahoma's fanhood seal of approval for this week? Listen, guys, it's not hard. You're a fan of Oklahoma. You're a fan of Oklahoma. The Big 12, Big 12 is the Big 12. Oklahoma wins the Big 12 again, beating Texas twice or beating Iowa State twice. It doesn't matter. Oklahoma, one loss Oklahoma is getting in over a one loss Auburn or one loss Oregon. They're getting in over a non-conference champion SEC team. That's just how it works. They've been in three of the last four playoffs. They've been one of the most compelling teams to pay attention to because of Baker Mayfield, because of Kyler Murray, and now because of how Jalen Hurts essentially wants to stick it to the people at Alabama and let them know, ha, 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 I'm still a good quarterback. You replaced me with a guy that's not as good as me. Because I'm going to have the national championship and he's not at the end of the year. That's what Jalen Hurts wants. And listen, Oklahoma fans, I get it. Rooting for Texas is hard. Really, you're not rooting for Texas. You're rooting against LSU. And listen, Oklahoma fans, you've got two jobs. Somebody says, Boomer, you yell back sooner. Really, three jobs. You support your team on Saturday, thick and thin. 
Number three, your third job, you hate Texas. That's the order that it goes in. One, two, three. Boomer, you yell sooner. Two, you support your Sooners. Whether they look like crap against Oregon in Oregon with terrible refs, or whether they look like the, the national championship team that went to Ohio State and beat the brakes off the Buckeyes. Nothing else matters if you're an Oklahoma fan. Yeah, would it be nice if Texas beat them? Yeah, it would be, but who cares? Go LSU, beat Texas. As an Oklahoma fan, that's what you're rooting for because ultimately the Big 12 is going to be fine. Here's why I know the Big 12 is going to be fine. You look at historically how the Big 12 usually works and how the Big 12 usually goes. The Big 12 usually works in a way that when Oklahoma plays a team that's really good, Oklahoma State. For example, this year, Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State. Those three teams should be in the top 25. It's a bonus is when Baylor's there. It's bonus when TCU's there. It's a bonus when uh, Kansas State's there. Listen, Oklahoma doesn't need the Big 12 to be the SEC. Oklahoma doesn't need the Big 12 to be the Big 10. Oklahoma just needs the Big 12. Oklahoma just needs Iowa State to beat Iowa. That's the only result non-conference-wise that the Big 12 needs. Because the Big 12's reputation is this. Oklahoma is holding that conference up. If you beat Oklahoma in a conference championship game and you have one loss, you must be pretty good. So if Texas goes the entire year with the only loss that they have on the years to LSU, just for an example, and they win the Big 12, Texas will be a Final Four team, will be a playoff team, no doubt. Oklahoma does the same thing. They go one loss, and the one loss is to Texas. And then they revenge that loss. They're getting in the playoffs. Listen, we don't need Baylor to be at number four, Oklahoma State to be number 10, or number nine, sorry. We don't need TCU to be uh, number 16. We don't need Texas being number whatever top 10. We just need them ranked. If Baylor can be ranked when we play him, when Iowa State can be ranked when we play him, Texas will be ranked when we play them, regardless if they win against LSU or not. They can lose to LSU and Oklahoma State, and by the time the Red River game comes around, they'll still be ranked because Texas is back. ESPN's been riding that train all summer. Texas is back. Look at Sam Ellinger. Texas is back. Look at Tom Herman. Texas is back. And again, I still say Texas is one year away from legitimately making that claim. But this is still Oklahoma's conference. I still foresee five in a row for Oklahoma. I don't foresee a situation where Texas can uncrown Oklahoma this year. This year. They're young defensively. Somebody told me, but Todd Orlando, listen, there's only so much you can coach. You can put posi- you can put players in the best positions and they still not make the tackle. It happens. I watched it during the Georgia game early on. Oklahoma was, 
or early in the third, third quarter in the Georgia game. They weren't magically out of position. They just didn't make the plays. The the scheme hurt them more than anything, but it's not like they weren't in any different positions that they were in before. Oklahoma's going to be fine. Listen, Oklahoma fans that are freaking out, oh my gosh, we need Texas to be good. We We need the conference to look good. Guys, the conference is fine. We're not the Pac-12. That's all that matters. We're better than the Pac-12. That's all that matters. We don't need to be better. We don't need... Listen, the ACC outside of Clemson is hot garbage, in case you missed it. If you want to see, Florida was hot. Florida's offensive line is going to not be very good this year. They're probably going to get that poor guy hurt, that quarterback, uh, Felipe Franks. They're probably going to get him hurt this year in in SEC play. They're probably going to get Felipe hurt. I still see Florida being a seven, eight, nine win team. They'll be a solid team, but Florida's offensive line is not is is nothing great. Defensively, they're still really good. Sorry, if you hear my dog snoring in the background, it's he, he's in here with me. But floor, the, the SEC is going based on reputation on what's been, what's been happening in the last 10 years, the last 20 years in college football. They've been the dominant conference, and the, the closest anybody's ever gotten was the – it's probably been the ACC here this decade. Clemson and Florida State, three titles between the two teams. Clemson's got two. Florida State's got one. So there's three there. That's the only that's that's the only other conference that can claim we're the closest to the we're the closest to the SEC. So you can look throughout the 2000s. Oklahoma got the first one in in 2000. Texas got 2005. That's it. Now Oklahoma did play in three other other national championship games. The only game they weren't close in was a vacated win in USC, because I still think that 04 game is vacated. Oklahoma didn't win it, but they 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 lost the game. <laughs> but we all know USC won that national championship. USC was by far the best team that year. But when you look at how conferences look, it's been the SEC since 2000. 2003, 2003, LSU, 2004, USC, 2005, Texas, 2006, LSU, 2007, Florida, 2008, Florida, 2009, Alabama, 2010, Auburn, 2011, Alabama. You see a trend, and the trend is that it's going to be it's probably going to be an SEC team that wins it outside of, let's see, since 2000, Oklahoma, USC, Texas, Ohio State, Miami, Florida State, Clemson twice, 
and Ohio State again. So nine teams not from the SEC have won a national championship since 2000. That's 19 years. Nine of those, ten other, ten times the SEC's won the national championship at the end of the year. Guys, it's, it, it's all reputation right now for the SEC. Because they had the most disastrous first week. If the Big 12 would have had that week, the Big 12 would be murdered nationally on, on every TV, anything sports-wise. I'm probably talking, you know, doom and gloom. Oklahoma has to go undefeated. We need Texas to destroy LSU. We need Iowa State to destroy Iowa. You know, we, we need best-case scenarios going forward. But, guys, listen, it's the Big 12. Right now, the Big 12 still has a good perception because Texas is back, Iowa State's still really good, and Oklahoma is Oklahoma. Oklahoma State has a young, promising freshman. They're going to be really good. So there's plenty of promise for the plenty of promise for Oklahoma if they lose once to Texas. If they go undefeated, they're in no matter what. So Oklahoma fans, relax. We're fine. The Big 12 will be fine. If Texas loses this week in a close game like I expect they'll be in, it's fine. You can start freaking out maybe a little bit if Oklahoma State beats Texas. Oh gosh, are they going to be ranked for the Red River game? Then you can freak out. You have my permission then to freak out. But right now it's fine. If Oklahoma goes undefeated on the year, it's fine. If Oklahoma has one loss, either to Iowa State or Texas, it's fine. Oklahoma will be fine one way or another. I promise. I promise you, Oklahoma fans, it's fine. It's not a burning bridge. It's not a house on fire. It's fine. The Big 12 this year is fine. I'm telling you. And if you freak out about it, calm down. Your rooting interest should be against Texas. Whoever plays Texas is who you root for that week. So it is LSU who you should root for this week if you were an Oklahoma fan. Because it doesn't matter one way or another if Texas wins it or not. If Texas wins it, great. They look better when we beat them in in the Red River game. If they lose it, oh darn. Just means we need to go and beat the brakes off Texas in the Red River game. <laughs> what LSU do? We need to double what LSU did. But guys, if Texas loses this game and Oklahoma loses Texas and Oklahoma revenges it in the Big 12 title game, it's still going to be fine. Oklahoma's still going to be one of those teams that are discussed as far as making the playoffs. They still put a lot of stock in winning your conference. How do I know that? Because a one-loss conference champion has not missed the playoffs to a two to a one-loss non-conference yet. A two-loss conference champion has, but not a one-loss. So it's fine. Calm down. Maybe you can have this kind of worry if it's something where it's between an Oregon team that wins out the rest of the year and an Oklahoma team that loses mainly only to Texas but avenges the loss in the title game then maybe you have something to worry about because then you can say, well, Oregon lost to Auburn. Auburn beat LSU. So obviously Oregon should be the better team. 
I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that they would probably talk about and say in the committee. That's about the only worst-case scenario, but Oklahoma is going to get the benefit of the doubt, making the two, last two playoffs, being outside of the first quarter against Alabama. They were competitive against Alabama. They were competitive against Georgia. In case you missed it, it was probably the best Rose Bowl game ever. Rose Bowl game. Listen to what I said. Rose Bowl game, not BCS National Championship game. That was at the Rose Bowl. Best Rose Bowl game ever. They played Clemson pretty close in the first playoff in 2010 that they made. So, guys, it's fine. Oklahoma's going to be fine. Their perception right now is that they're a playoff caliber team even with one loss. Oregon does not have that perception. The Pac-12 does not have that perception. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. If you're listening on Crossover Radio, I'll see you on the other side of the break. And we're going to talk about some of the beef I have with Texas fans here. I've been going after – I've been plenty – if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me go after these Texas fans. Um, A lot of my my – I'm going to name one of my Texas followers that's actually smart. I'm going to call him out just because I know he's going to listen to this segment and take a – and, you know, bring up – Strap on his horns and say, listen, guys, listen, Jake, this is not, no, this is not, no, no, you know, it's, but we'll get into it. So this has been Crossover Radio Sports Radio with Purpose. This has been the Major League Podcast. We're going to take one more break, one last segment, and we're going to call it a night. We're going to call it a day, and then we'll talk again tomorrow. Um, I'll probably post something tomorrow, at least on the podcast um, uh, from the booth or, you know, from somewhere so uh guys keep keep it real keep it here we'll be back after this break if you're on crossover radio sports if you're listening on the podcast you'll hear me in just a moment Radio Sports. This is Major League Podcast. Thanks for listening in, guys. Hey, we're hitting our last segment on the on today's episode five. Um, track and field. Zeke, Antonio Brown, and Van Hood. We're in the Van Hood section here, guys. So we've talked about track and field. We've talked about Ezekiel Elliott. We've talked about Antonio Brown. We've talked about how Oklahoma fans should should root against Texas. So that means your LSU fans this week. I know a lot of Texas, a lot of Oklahoma fans aren't aren't fan of. Uh, fans of LSU either, but hey, listen. It it was almost 20 years ago. Let it go. It's fine. Oklahoma's fine. We're in a better place than we were back then anyway. Yes, we should have won it. Yes, Josh Heupel should have made one throw to tie the game. Or get in position to tie the game. But it is what it is. We're okay. Oklahoma's fine. I promise, guys, they're fine. So, on this last segment here, um, if you follow me on Twitter, you have just seen the amount of massive... uh, You've seen me go after Texas fans. 
pretty relentless. I've been I've been pretty not okay with some of the things that these Texas fans are spewing. And this is why I have a problem with Texas is back. No. Stop saying Texas is back. Oklahoma's worked too hard to keep the Big 12 afloat for you to just randomly start saying Texas is back. Said it in 2016 after you beat Notre Dame at home. And what happened? You went five and seven. Sorry, six and seven. So enough of this bull that Texas is back. Actually win something, then claim Texas is back. Because I've heard a lot of Texas fans now come out and say, well, the 2013 Sugar Bowl didn't really matter for... Alabama, so it doesn't really count as a good win for Oklahoma. Bull crap. If that's the case, Georgia didn't care against Texas either. That's how that works. If it works for one team, it works for the other. So don't give me that horse that Alabama didn't care in 2013 in that Sugar Bowl. Because if that's the case, Georgia didn't care about Texas in, in this last year's Sugar Bowl. I can tell you that right now. And listen, to you Texas fans that are sitting here going, Oklahoma's not elite, bull. Oklahoma's been the only team in the Big 12 that's been able to keep the national perception of the Big 12 afloat. Baylor hasn't done it. TCU hasn't done it. Texas surely hasn't done it. Oklahoma State hasn't done it. It's only been Oklahoma. Kansas State hasn't done it either. So listen, when I tell you guys that this whole Texas is back thing is dumb, it's dumb. Oklahoma's made this conference too stable because Texas decided to ruin it all by doing the Big 12 network, or not the, should have done the Big 12 network, but instead called it the Longhorn Network. The worst thing ESPN has. ESPN's losing money on the Longhorn Network. In case you guys didn't, in case you didn't know, it cost them $7 million to run that, to run that station. They're contracted for five. They're losing $2 million a year on this. They're losing $2 million a year on this show. Listen, Disney ain't about losing money. They're going to be looking at some things. They're going to be looking at the Longhorn Network and go, uh, yeah, this is done. You're now just on ESPN Plus with the Big 12 now. That's how this works. When, ES- when Oklahoma's contract is done with Fox Sports, Disney's probably going to look at them and say, you're part of Big 12 now. Enjoy. Unless they go to the SEC network, then Oklahoma is really going to get the enjoy the long enjoy the ESPN network. But the Longhorn Network is nothing that any Texas fan should sit there and go. This is great production of of television. No, no, it's not. When your main network from your main university from the biggest state that the United States has to offer at a program that has the most money, who does less with more talent is losing money on a net is costing ESPN money. That's a problem. And guys, I'm going to tell you, the Longhorn Network's not going to stay very long unless Texas just goes independent and Texas funds it itself. That's the only way that, that network stays. ESPN's not going to do anything for the Longhorn Network moving forward. I can tell you guys that. It's not going to happen. The only way the Longhorn Network stays afloat is if Texas decides to fund it, which they can do themselves. But Texas fans, to sit here and say Oklahoma's not elite is probably the dumbest thing I've probably heard. Gosh, 
if I didn't work in a call center and hear a lot of dumb things every day, I would say it would probably be the dumbest thing I've heard in quite a while. But listen, Oklahoma's elite. Oklahoma is 30 and 17 in ranked games since 2010. Now listen, have they done it in the bowl games that matter in the three playoffs? No. But here, let me tell you why. Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia? Or Clemson and Alabama. Alabama. Those are the two that have been the two big name brands that were in the title game and were right there to win it. Um, I don't think Georgia ever had a shot to win it because it's Nick Saban going against Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban's pretty good against his old um, his old employees. He, he's got a pretty good track and pretty good record against those guys. But when you look at the, de- the defensive talent and compare it to Oklahoma's, when you look at the offensive line talent and compare it to Oklahoma's in each of those games, 2015, Oklahoma's offensive line wasn't there to play with Clemson. That was evident in the second half. Oklahoma's defense was good enough to play and, you know, keep up and do its job. The Oklahoma offense was not, which is weird to say because we have Lincoln Riley. 2017 against Georgia. Listen, that game literally was back and forth. Oklahoma should have, ran, should have run away with that game with the way they were playing in the first half. They, they openly admitted, Bakers said it, hey, we kind of put the brakes on a little bit, and that let them back in the game. Last year's Alabama game, take away the 21-point spot Oklahoma gave Alabama, and Oklahoma played right there with Alabama. Now, probably Alabama did play with the uh, brakes on, had the cruise control on, going 45, you know, speed limit's 55. The, you know, it's that speed zone thing to where it's minimum 45, maximum 70. They're probably sitting there going 55, just, you know, saving some gas, not, not really needing to go all out. That was probably how the second, third, and fourth quarter went in the, in the, in the Alabama game last, last year against Oklahoma, but that was still a game in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma wasn't going to ever win it. Oklahoma never had that game or had a position to where they were going to come back and be successful in that game. But I can tell you one thing, 2015, if Texas were to play that Clemson team, they'd have gotten run out of the building. uh, 2017 against Georgia, that Georgia team, they'd have gotten run out of the building. Last year's Alabama team, it wouldn't even be close. We thought Alabama cruised against Oklahoma. They would have probably put their second string in. That's how good those teams are, and that's how close Oklahoma is to those teams, that they played every single one of them close. They didn't get blown out once in any of these playoffs games. Haven't been like Notre Dame. Haven't been like Clemson against Alabama that uh, in 2017, where Clemson was actually in a kind of a weird spot to where they weren't a normal Clemson team. They're they're not Washington. They're not Florida State. Listen, there have been wor- there have been worse teams that have made the playoffs than any of Oklahoma's teams that have all gotten blown out. Oklahoma has played every team they've played within a score a score or two. And I'm sorry, that's still a football game late in the game. If you're still within a stone's throw, that's two scores as a stone throw in college football. That's still a football game. 
that's still close. That's still close enough for the other team to go, if we make a mistake, they're right back in this game and they have momentum. That makes you think, and that makes you, you know, okay, yeah, we, we still got to play pretty good here. Texas is, hasn't been in those kind of games. Texas played in a Sugar Bowl last year, and they beat Georgia, and they looked impressive doing it. Congratulations. You also did it with the best NFL talent Georgia had on defense on the sideline not playing. Georgia's still really good, but guess what? When LSU comes into town this weekend, they're going to have every single one of their NFL safeties, every single one of their NFL linebackers, every single one of their NFL defensive linemen. So pump the brake, Texas fans. Listen, I get it. You want to be cocky. I get it. You want to, you want to come on Twitter and you want to talk some, some ish with Oklahoma fans. I get it. But listen, you haven't done anything since 2009. It's been 10 years. Oklahoma's at least been in college football playoffs. Oklahoma has two, of the, la- has two the last two first-round draft picks and Heisman Trophy winners. They've made three of the last four college football playoffs. They've won the last four Big 12 titles. They've won five outright since 2010, and they've co-championed with Kansas State in 2012. They're the only program since 2010 that can claim any of these kind of conference accolades outside of Alabama. Alabama's pretty much won it every year except – 17, 10, and I think that's it. That's how good Alabama's been. <laughs> that's how good they've been. And that year Auburn beat Oregon. Was that Cam Newton's year? Yeah, that was Cam Newton's year. So that would have been 12, if I remember right. So let's not sit here and pretend that Texas is far superior since 2010 than Oklahoma. No, and Texas fans will admit it. Well, Texas has had a down time. Okay, well, Texas is in a down time. Take your lumps. Don't sit here and bring up, well, Oklahoma's not elite. Dude, yes, they are. What are you talking about? You don't just magically go 30 and 17 against ranked teams. You don't magically just win five Big 12 titles and play every college football playoff team that you've played really close that doesn't magically just happen we're not eating lucky charms because they're magically delicious we're not doing that here with you know they're not doing that in norman they're playing every single one of these teams as close as they can and i'm and listen texas fans i'm telling you i've already picked texas to win the big 12 next year i already have next year yeah texas is probably going to be that team in the big 12 that everybody's chasing instead of oklahoma Oklahoma is going to have to rebuild a little bit at the quarterback position because we don't know what Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler are. We don't know. We don't know what the running back position is going to look like next year either. We know we're going to get Marcus Major. We're probably going to get Trey Sermon back. Kennedy Brooks probably still going to be back. So they're going to we, – we don't know. There's too much probably there. The offensive line is going to be fine. The wide receivers are going to be fine. Who knows what we're going to have on defense. Or what it's even going to look like. I don't know if Kenneth Murray's going to stay. He's a junior. He could go to the draft this year. Who's behind him that's any good? That's on his level. We're losing defensive tackle depth for next year. So Texas, this is your prime opportunity. Build that young defense for next year. 
Like, still try and go and win this year, but it's probably not going to happen this year. There's too much veteran on Oklahoma this year. There's too much leadership on Oklahoma this year for you to sit there and go, oh, yeah, we're going to win the conference. Oklahoma's a non-factor. Dude, Texas fans, you can't say that. You haven't been in a position in the last 10 years to be able to say that. Ever. In the last 10 years, ever. Listen, you want to play Oklahoma close, and they, they've been the closest team the last 10 years to play Oklahoma that close, and, the, and they've beaten them a couple times when they probably shouldn't have, and the other way around too. Oklahoma's won some of those games they probably shouldn't have won to a lesser Texas team. But let's not sit here and come on social media and start blaring stupidity that Oklahoma is not a top five blue blood program or that Oklahoma is not an elite program in college football right now because that's just stupid. Yeah, the goal is winning national championships. If you're not Alabama or Clemson, you're probably not winning them anytime soon. That's how good those two programs are running right now. Now, listen, they will come down eventually in the Georgias, the Oklahomas, the Texases, the uh, Ohio States. They're going to get in there and win some. But Texas, you, you fans, you need to pump the brakes. Texas hasn't won anything yet. They have, to, they have to win a Big 12 for me to be able to say they're back, and they haven't done that yet. They haven't done that since 2009. You guys are running 10 years without a conference championship. And listen, you get rid of that 2005 national championship, it's 1970 since the national championship before that. At least Oklahoma can say it was 15 before the uh, 2000 national championship. And listen, Oklahoma's been right there in every single national championship race since 2000. You don't magically just play in four national championship games in the BCS era. You don't magically make three college football playoffs. The perception of your team has to be really good, especially in this era that we're in for the college football playoffs. So let's get, let's pump the brakes, Texas fans. Can we agree? Hey, my, I, I know I was going to call you out here by name. Josh, I'm not talking to you, man. I'm not talking to you at all, Josh. This is for your buddies out there. You need to tell them to pump the brakes, man. Listen, I get, I get there's excitement. I get it. And I get there's this whole thing from the 2004 to 2005 year. Well, they won the Rose Bowl the year before. They won the Sugar Bowl last year. The championship, one of the games is in the Sugar Bowl this is in the uh, Sugar Bowl. The championship game is in the Sugar Bowl this year. I get it. There's connections. There's the whole thing there. I get the excitement. But we need to pump the brakes. We need to see what Texas is going to do at the conference level before we can sit here and say, oh, yeah, they're a playoff team. We know Oklahoma's a playoff team. They've been there three times. We know Alabama's a playoff team. They don't ever miss the playoffs. Clemson's a playoff team. Washington's probably a playoff team. Notre Dame's probably a playoff team, too. Oregon's going to more than likely be in the hunt for the playoff. So, Texas fans, I'm telling you, and I'm telling you this because Oklahoma's worked too hard to make sure the Big 12 is still on its feet and not have, and not have the national perception of the Pac-12 or anybody not named Clemson in the ACC. That's how hard Oklahoma has made sure the Big 12 is not those two conferences. 
because without Oklahoma, the Big 12 is probably the AAC. That's what they're looking at. So, guys, that's my show today. Um, you'll probably still see me on Twitter going after some Texas fans because, goodness, those guys need some football education. Again, Josh, not you. Not you, Josh. You you watch football and you pay attention to it and you know when to give things up. You know when to not give things up but give, give kudos to where they deserve. And you know I do the same. And listen, I haven't seen it from Texas yet. I don't know if they're that team that can actually challenge for a Big 12. I thought they had they might have had a shot last year. I thought it. But as I sat there and observed them, they didn't have the offense for it. They might have the offense this year if they can get some running backs. But it's still a maybe for me on Texas. They're not back yet this year. Give me, ne- give me Texas next year. You bet. This year, no. I'm not sold that Texas is 100% back. Texas is a contender for the Big 12, but they're not back. So, guys, this this has been the Major League Podcast here on Crossover Radio Sports. I have enjoyed talking to you today. Um, definitely hit me up on on Twitter, at JakeMajor25, if you have anything to say or anything that you want to comment to me at. Um, it, it's been a it's been an interesting couple days. Um, again, sorry I didn't get anything out to you guys just, um, yesterday. It was uh, the day I the night I would have recorded it. I was probably not going to say things that were crossover radio appropriate. So it was a good thing I didn't do the podcast. So guys, again, thanks for listening in. If you're listening in on any of the podcast stations here on Anchor, Radio Public, uh, Google, uh, Pocket Cast, Spotify. Or uh, breaker thanks for listening in it's been a fun show um continue listening in we're gonna have some more we're gonna have some great topics coming up this has been crossover radio sports radio with purpose this has been the major league podcast i'll talk to you guys later